Well, you know, there really couldn't have been a, uh, a worse spot for it to occur, uh, said Secretary of Transportation Barry Schock. The heat that day was so intense that it began to buckle the steel beams in the infrastructure of the bridge. And it forced the water actually up out of the concrete as steam, creating multiple explosions at where it was taking place. With black smoke that billowed up into the air could be seen from miles around, they said, on that clear morning, which backed up traffic 10 miles in both directions on Interstate 81, making the morning commute into Harrisburg an absolute nightmare. Shortly after 6 a.m. on Thursday, May 9th, a tanker truck carrying 7,500 gallons of diesel fuel headed north from Carlisle flipped over on an on-ramp of Route 22-322 just north of where I-81 crosses over the Susquehanna River. If you've been down that way, you might know where it is that I'm speaking. I want you to watch this clip for a moment that actually comes from news footage that's taken, uh, taken that day. It's amazing nobody was hurt, seriously, and nobody was killed. Can you play that for us? A diesel truck burst into flames following a crash just outside of Harrisburg this morning. And officials are now saying this massive fire caused extensive damage to Interstate 81. The heat from the tanker explosion was so intense, steam formed in sections of I-81 and exploded. The tanker was filled with 7,500 gallons of diesel fuel and overturned at the off-ramp linking I-81 and Route 322. Wow. This is home video taken by a passenger moments after the road was engulfed in flames. Look, it's even down there. I'm surprised they're letting us drive underneath it. We can be grateful that no one was actually killed or seriously injured in this accident. But clearly, the loss of this major traffic intersection and artery presents a challenge to the mid-state, its workers, and the business. Governor sent home all non-essential government workers today in staggered shifts to reduce gridlock. We have no clear timetable, though, as to when the repairs will be completed. But everyone at the state level understands the urgency of reopening Interstate 81 and all the adjacent roads as speedily as we possibly can. Quite a fire, huh? I've never seen anything like that. I was driving to Harrisburg. I actually had to get down there last Sunday after uh, church, and I seen these big signs on the turnpike. Don't go this way. Don't get off. Find alternate routes. Major delay. I'm like, oh my heavens, what happened? They said, well, it was a fire. And I come back, I look up and say, holy smokes, no pun intended. What a fire. Right? Incredible that nobody was hurt. Incredible that nobody was killed. A, a fire that obviously shook the, the area that morning, rerouted traffic that day, inconvenienced people 10 miles can you imagine sitting in the turnpike 10 miles in traffic wondering what the heck's going on people being rerouted where do we go from here you know as i reflected upon that and as i thought about that uh, in light of my own possible inconvenience in that route which i did not have i was able to get up and to get around of it but I began to think about the similarities of what took place that day 
and another event about 2,000 years ago that involved a sudden onset of, of unexplained fire and, and news that dramatically affected not just a morning commute into, into town, but all over the city. It, it impacted everything throughout Jerusalem, and not just for a short period of time, but the world would never be the same again. Pentecost is the story of the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit breathing a, a movement into the life of the people who were there that day into the early disciples. Uh, what we celebrate is how it began, how the church started today. This is what we remember. The, the disciples were all gathered in Jerusalem. They hadn't left. They hadn't gone anywhere. Jesus had instructed them to stay put where they were and to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples waited. And it was now 50 days since the Passover, the time when Jesus was crucified. And it was the custom of the Jewish folks to celebrate two major things at that time of year. Uh, the first fruits of the harvest and the giving of the law. And so it was a, just a national day of celebration. They called it the harvest of the weeks. And so what you need to know is that it was packed that day. The Jerusalem, the whole city there, it was just packed with people who'd come to celebrate, Jewish pilgrims. And they had come from different countries, some from Africa and some from Asia and some from Europe, and they came from all over the place. And what that means is there was a multitude of different languages that were being spoken there that day. Different tongues being spoken. And then it happened. Out of nowhere, just like that, the gift that the Father had promised came. And like a mighty rushing wind and flames, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, engulfed by the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in ways that everybody could understand, in ways that Jesus uh, had told them. They began to talk about things that Jesus had done, their experiences. And in the middle of all of this, Peter stands up in the middle of this crowd and he said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, but you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, and we all are witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. And Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, tells us how the people responded to Paul's message. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And while did they ever repent, and were they ever baptized? 3,000 people were added that single day to the church. Now that's the recounting of the coming of the Holy Spirit. That was the beginning of the church as we know it. That's what we celebrate today, the birthday of the church. That's what we commemorate. We can't duplicate the exact results today that was then. 3,000 people, that would be great if we could have that many conversions, right? Uh, the exact events can't be duplicated, but we can look at some of the things that caused that to come about, and we can look at some of the things that can help us stoke that fire of the Holy Spirit in us so that we can continue to be about the mission of the church, which is making disciples 
of Jesus for the transformation of the world. So first of all, what I want you to see that took place that day, what was promised, and what's still available to us today is passion. We must have passion. And by that I mean, what is it that's in your heart that's driving you? What is it that compels you uh, to do whatever it is that you're doing? If there was something that I called you up and I said, let's go do this right now, that you'd say, I'm there, hang up, goodbye, and, and you're walking out the door. What is it that drives you like nothing else does? Well, for those early followers of Jesus, after Pentecost, their passion was advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what it cost them, they were telling people about Jesus and they were telling people about what he'd done, who he was, what, they'd done to, what he'd done to their own lives, and nothing was going to stop them. They were fully committed to what they believed, and they paid the ultimate price that anybody can pay for their beliefs. Many of them faced painful, agonizing death. So what is it, right, that would compel somebody to go out into the world with a message that was unpopular? What is it that would compel someone to go into a hostile area uh, knowing that this is likely going to cause uh, bring about my death or at least bring about some things that I'd rather not have happen to me? You know, what is it that would compel someone to go forth with a message that was not going to be readily received? What is it that would compel someone to go uh, to Mexico right, and to serve in ministry down there uh, uh, outside the city dump of Oaxaca, as many of us did uh, not too long ago uh, what is it that would compel somebody to to go to zimbabwe another part of the world to minister to kids that are forgotten by the world not even acknowledged by the world uh, kids many of whom have uh, parent or parents gone from aids or are suffering from aids themselves or, or malaria right what would cause someone to do that uh, what would compel someone to to go to a church in new jersey or down to katrina a few years ago or or out to Texas, I'm sure they're going to be getting them with the uh, talk about mighty wind coming through, the tornado coming through. Uh, what would compel somebody to leave Pennsylvania, their home here, and to go into a situation like that? What would compel someone to give up their afternoon and to work uh, as an after-school helper or coordinator or to come out and, and to work as a carnival helper to get the carnival up and going, you know, for the kids of the neighborhood? What is it that would compel someone to go and to spend a, a day working at the soup kitchen, right, in Latrobe? What is it that would empower people to go beyond what normally is in their own self-vested interest to get out of their areas of comfort, maybe, to stoke those fires within? to do things even that some folks might call foolish. I would submit to you that it's the power of God's Holy Spirit. Have you ever experienced that power in your life? What is it that drives you? What is it that compels you? What exactly is it that is your passion? For those early disciples of Jesus, it was getting the gospel message out to the world around them. The message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Oh, that that would be our passion today. Okay, So uh, if the church is going to continue on making disciples, transforming the world, uh, one of the fires we need to keep stoked inside of us is the passion for the things of God. But that's not all. Because if we just have the passion and we don't have the power, we're not going to go anywhere. 
even with passion, without power, you're not going to be able to go do what you're being called to do until we get energized. Remember the Energizer Buddy? I haven't seen those commercials in a while, but they were very effective because I still think of them sometime with the Energizer Rabbit going and beating the drum. You've all seen them, I'm certain, right? I mean, very popular years uh, back. So until we receive the power of the Spirit, until we get that power that Christ has promised us with the Spirit, until that bunny comes our way and, and plugs into our spirit and lights up our soul, some of us, we just aren't ready yet. We aren't ready until that power comes upon us. We need, we need some power of the Spirit within us, some, some uh, wake-me-up power, some get-me-up power, some pick-me-up power, some in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus power. We need the power of the Holy Ghost within us. Sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, why don't we celebrate Pentecost? Right? Why? What does it have to do with me today? Nobody knows what it is. Ask your friends if they know what Pentecost is. There might be some. But it's not like if you say, do you know what Easter commemorates or what Christmas commemorates? Right? So what does Pentecost have to do with me? Well, I'm telling you, it has everything to do with us. What is our faith if we chop it off right here and we don't celebrate Pentecost? What's the point if we drop off Pentecost? You see, many of us, too many of us, we stop celebrating too soon. We celebrate Easter completely. We are all here. The church is full on Easter. Everybody celebrates Easter. And then we stop celebrating. And so we, we cut off a, a whole phase of our theological assumption. And most of us don't observe Pentecost at all. But it happened. The disciples were locked up in the upper room. They were behind closed doors. They were afraid. They were mute. They had seen the risen Christ. And they hadn't told anybody about it until Pentecost. And then something happened, right? Something loosened their tongue and it fortified their convictions and it undergirded the courage that they had within them and they left that place and they declared to the world that Christ was risen, that He was indeed the chief cornerstone of all that there is and they turned the world upside down, but not just after Easter only, but after Pentecost as well. It was after Pentecost where the disciples received that promised gift of the Holy Spirit that they were given that power. It's hard sometimes for people to understand the spiritual power. I think a lot of times we look at these early disciples and these earlier followers of Jesus and we say, well, those were su almost like supermen, superwomen, right? I mean, they had like some superpowers within them. My friends, listen, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, they, they were like us. They had normal people they'd have fit right in here right they, they were just normal hard-working everyday people like you and me in fact probably realistically these early followers of jesus probably had a lot less talent a lot less creativity resources and a lot less education than most of us sitting right here in this room but what they did have was compulsion and it was the motivating factor that thrust them out into the world with that message of Christ, the message of redemption. And by the end of the first century, there were already half a million people who'd been brought under the banner of Christianity. That, I submit to you, is power. That is real power. How do we experience that power in our life? You know, the pastor of a 
large denominational congregation uh, had that question once, and he polled his folks, and that's always an interesting thing to do to poll the congregation. And uh, what he found was there were 92%, which is what you would expect, 92% of the people in the congregation believed in the reality of Christ. High number, you would expect that. In fact, I'm surprised it wasn't even a little higher than that. But only 50% said that they had experienced the reality of Christ in their own life. A disconnect there of almost half. How about you? Have you experienced the reality of Christ in your own life, the power of the Spirit in your life. Well, what do we have to do? Well, Peter told us. You, know, you ask, you repent, and you get baptized. That's the first step when God calls us to go. We turn our lives over to Him. We repent, accept, and get baptized. And when that happens, we receive the power of Christ and He begins to strengthen us, He begins to motivate us, and that power becomes alive inside of us. So if the church today is to continue to be effective in ministry and mission, making disciples a transformation of the world, we've got to stoke those fires of passion, we have to stoke the fires of power. And finally, I would submit to you this morning, the church and us must maintain uh, the vision and the purpose that we have for the church set before. What's the church to be about? What is it that our, you know, if we could boil it down to one item, what would it be about? And I would suggest to you we're to be about making disciples of Jesus. We're to be in the disciple-making business. 1971, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, two brothers by the name of Tom and Lewis Borders founded Borders Bookstore. You remember Borders Bookstore? Huge. It revolutionized the way that books are sold. Uh, two brothers started it. Uh, kind of a rough start to begin with, but uh, not long after, they, they and Barnes and & Noble held over half of the retail book market. And by 1997, they began to edge out Barnes & Noble, and they went international. They're all over the world, these Borders stores were. And once it achieved this dominance, right, uh, Borders embarked on really an epic series of missteps um, that began to lead to their demise, but there was one that pushed them, launched them in that way, and ultimately would prove to be their major downfall. In the year 2001, uh, they had launched their online component of their bookstore, and it wasn't doing real great. And rather to take the time and invest in that and to figure out, you know, that this is an area of the future, they farmed it out. It was viewed as a distraction from the retail stores that were there and they farmed it out and outsourced it to Amazon.com. Short-term, very convenient. Long-term, fatal. As Borders never took that step of uh, focusing on and developing their digital uh, presence and their online presence, instead trying to fix up their brick-and-mortar stores. Well, as you know, Amazon took off, and now they're not just in the book business anymore. They sell about anything that you can possibly think. And it was the beginning of the demise of Borders. Ultimately, they had no way of competing with that level of uh, sales. Uh, no way to do it. And so if they were able to see the world of iPads and, and you know iPods and Kindles and Nooks and all those things coming, they would have been able to head in that direction and focus in that direction. 
Uh, by 2006, that was the last year they made a profit. Failures started coming. And then 2011, they were completely out of business and they closed in September of that year their final 40 stores. Here's what I'm saying. If executives at Borders would have realized what was coming, would have realized that their business was to be about selling media, right? whatever means that was going to be most available and most productive in doing that, whether it would be online, whether it would be in a store, where any other means that might be coming soon, uh, we might be logging on to borders.com now instead of amazon.com to get our books or whatever else we're doing. You see? And the message there for us as a church is, if we as the church of Jesus Christ ever lose our focus on the fact that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, then we're living on borrowed time as well. It's been said that the church is the only institution that exists for the non-members, for those who are not members. And I agree with that. And I think if we ever lose sight of that fact, our days are numbered until we become obsolete as well. I want to close uh, with this. There have been a lot of symbols over the years that have been used to illustrate uh, the Holy Spirit, right? Most common of which I would say is probably the dove, right? We've got a picture of it up there. You've Heard it talks about when Jesus was baptized, the dove comes down. And, and usually we envision in our mind uh, this white dove. Right? And you can almost hear harpsicle music playing when we think about that. Right? And there's songs we've written about it, Come Holy Spirit, Sweet Heavenly Dove. And they're great songs. And it, but it envisions in our mind this kind of um, serene uh, descending uh, upon a, a peaceful way uh, upon those maybe who are here and just you know, peacefully meditating and and close. You get that image, right? You kind of picture that image. Well, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Mickey Anders of Pikesville, Kentucky, discovered what I, I think is the most unusual symbol of the dove, and that is the wild goose. Y'all, you've seen wild geese, right? You've been around the lakes and the ponds where the geese are. Uh, if you have a dog, maybe you had the dogs out and they chase the geese, and then the geese turn around and chase the dogs, right? And, and they're loud, they're obnoxious, they're, they're noisy. You can't miss them right? because they don't allow you to overlook them. Well, Celtic monks uh, lived in conspicuous poverty, of course, and they uh, were unworldly in all their ways. They practiced humility, and so they often chose as their places to go and to worship remote places in nature. And so these same Celtic Christians chose not the dove, but they chose the wild goose as a symbol for the Holy Spirit. Dr. Andrews contrasts the image of the Holy Spirit as the wild goose with the image of the Holy Spirit of the dove. He says, when you hear the Spirit descending like a heavenly dove on you, you hear harps and strings softly playing and get a peaceful feeling. The image of the Holy Spirit as a dove has become so familiar and domesticated, it's an image we pay little attention to. The image of the wild goose descending upon you is a little different altogether. A wild goose is one noisy, bothersome bird jarring you out of your complacency. What a great image, right? What a great image of what the Spirit really is to be about inside of all of us. The goose startles you. Hey, you know, I remember the goose chasing the kids. We had a pond where the kids grew up and they'd be chasing the goose and the goose would turn around and start chasing the kids and kids ah, running away, right? There's nothing quiet about the geese at all. I wonder if it's not time 
for a, a little wild goose kind of Christianity. Right here in New Derry, right here in Latrobe, right here in your heart and in my heart. To help us realize and embrace the mission that we have been given. Let this day of Pentecost be a day that you recall, a day that you commemorate, a day that you celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to us, coming to our church, coming over us not like a quiet, serene dove, but rather like a wild goose jarring us out of our complacency and passionately and powerfully inspiring us and guiding us as we continue making uh, disciples. We continue the mission of the church of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Listen, I think I can hear that goose honking right now. Can you? Let me pray for us. Lord, we do give you thanks for your spirit indeed which you have sent to us that you have given to us, Lord, that you have given to us to empower us to go forth boldly wherever that may be, to our works, to our schools, to our communities, uh, to our neighbors even perhaps, to be that uh, one who carries that message forth. May you bless us, may you guide us, may you continue to strengthen us, show us those ways that you would go, and may you continue to pour your Holy Spirit out upon us and upon your great church until that time when we are all with you in eternity. And We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. I feel like I should say honk, honk. Let's stand up and we'll...